Welcome to For the Love of Kids. I'm your host, Stephanie Jane Bennett, and this is a parenting podcast about how we navigate life from all sides of parenthood. In a recent study into motherhood by the parenting app Peanut, 75% of the women they spoke to described feeling invisible, and 94% feel unappreciated, unacknowledged, or unseen. That's horrid, isn't it? And it's not the news you want to hear if you're an expectant mum. So I'm really sorry to share that with you. But it might be the news you need to hear to realise you're not alone if you are a mum and you are feeling the same. In the Invisible Mother report, Peanut explains that each stage of motherhood can feel like a cloak of invisibility. Society expects us to do it all and be it all, often with any appropriate support or societal infrastructure. And with so many female leaders leaving their roles in senior positions at this juncture in their lives, isn't it time something changed? Having taken the leap from managing director of a social media agency at the time I got pregnant, to being a freelance marketing consultant before my daughter turned two, I'm on my own journey of rediscovering my role in society as a mum, a career woman, and the person I was before, and still am. So who better to speak to about the lessons we can all learn about leadership, freelancing, and being more than just a mum, than Dr. Katie Best. Katie is a leadership coach, consultant, and executive educator who helps senior leaders and their organizations to accelerate their leadership and enhance their performance. She's a parent to one daughter and regularly works with leaders and parents helping them navigate tricky issues such as work-life balance, the return to work after parental leave, and career development. She's writing a book to help leaders solve their messiest problems, uh, which will be published in 2025. Um, She also writes a fortnightly leadership agony aunt newsletter called Dear Katie, which I love. Um, And I have been subscribing to that newsletter for the best part of two and a bit years. Um, because most importantly to me, Katie was my head tutor on LSE's MBA Essentials online certificate program, which I finished the day my daughter Naomi was born. Yep, you heard it right. I finished my mini MBA on the day my daughter was born. So without further ado, let's talk to Katie. Hello and welcome to For the Love of Kids. Um, I am joined by Dr. Katie Best uh, today and I'm really excited to kind of chat with her because we met when I was doing a mini MBA um, and I have a really fun story to tell you all about that. But before I get started, I will uh, let Katie say hello. Hi everyone. Uh, It's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. You're very welcome. So Katie, you were head tutor when I was doing my mini MBA at LSE, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, still doing that role as well. I love it. Brilliant. No, and I loved it as well. So it was like a, it was a 10 week course um, and it was something that I decided to take on and I literally decided within a week and started the week later. Uh, and I remember my boss at the time saying to me, are you sure? Are you sure it's a good time for you to do this? You don't want to have to do this after you've had your baby? And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's 10 weeks. I've got 12 weeks until my baby's due. It's all going to be fine. And I'm being induced. So it's all all good. And then 
I was doing really well. I was really enjoying it. And then I'd gone and had a, a visit with my doctor and they were just like, yes, yeah, so we're going to bring your induction forward. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that's interesting because I've got a hand in my last assignment the week after she's going to be born. <laughs> that's not ideal. <laughs> not ideal at all. So I kindly spoke to a couple of people in the team and they allowed me kind of access to be able to get my head down and do it the way they like one condition is you have to submit it the same that same date yeah. so I was like okay fine so I sat there in hospital writing my last assignment with my laptop on the bed while I was waiting to have my induction wow. up in the morning rewrote it because I'd had a like epiphany in there overnight and um and then later that day my daughter was born that's so. unbelievable. That's, I mean, that's a great story. I think that's probably the most exciting assessment submission story I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, let me take it one level higher. I got 100% on that. Was it wow. only got 100% on? That's amazing. So, oh, well, there you go. That's a recommendation to everyone. If you want to do really well, go and get induced. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, no, it was really, 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 really pleased to see that when I got that because, uh, yeah, I was just like, this is going to be awful because I'm under so much pressure. Yeah. But I do think a little bit of pressure on anything. Uh, like people seem stress, see stress as something that's really negative and actually having a little bit of adrenaline definitely helps. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big, big believer in, if, in, in kind of increasing that jeopardy. If you need to get something done, you need to get it done well try and put some stakes behind it because for me at least that adrenaline makes such a difference massively yeah and I do you find like me I tend to procrastinate if I've got too much time yeah definitely and I think oh I could probably do it even better whereas the pressure just makes you pull out all the stops it's it definitely works yeah Uh, the book that I'm writing at the moment I'm writing a chapter on personal effectiveness and the research backs it all up as well you'll be pleased to know that that is a really good strategy for getting stuff done amazing oh wow I'm very impressed you're writing a book um (laughs) it's one of my big dreams but I'm like when am I gonna get time but (laughs) the good thing is though if you do it around the other way and you sell the proposal and then you write the book you've got loads of jeopardy because you've got to get it done yeah exactly exactly no I've got a very good friend uh Dr Gemma Lee Roberts and she did her book um and her PhD at the same time, just after she'd had her second. And I, don't, I, I just don't think she knows still how she did it, but um, yeah. she's done really, really well. So well done, Gemma, if you're listening. Um, but Katie, tell me, so are you a parent? Yes, I am a parent. So I had my daughter just over nine years ago. So I love being a parent. I love her. She's brilliant. Uh, we have lots of fun. And I'm guessing we're going to dig into that a bit more as well in relation to what we're talking about. Absolutely. So I think for for those of you listening, as you know, the big thing for me is understanding like what parenting does to you uh, and how it changes your lives and your relationships and things like that. Um, So for me, my world very much uh, shifted in ways I didn't expect. Um, But how was it for you, Katie? Was it uh, bluebirds singing outside the window and everything being wonderful, lovely? Uh, or did did things shift and change? I think for me, the I mean, I had really bad morning sickness, not as in being sick, but just felt nauseous for nine months, solidly oh, wow. nauseous. Um, and so I ended up spending a lot of time at home 
on my own, setting myself all these ridiculous challenges. So I'm going to learn the names of 20 trees so I can recognize them. I'm going to learn all the kings and queens of England because I couldn't do anything really taxing because I just felt grim. But I just couldn't bear the thought of spending months and months doing absolutely nothing. Um, And then similar to you, I went and did an MA in creative writing when my daughter was really little because I just wanted some way to spend nap time and I'd wanted to write fiction for a while. So um, wrote a book. That was fun. But the big change for me really was that having her provided that kind of springboard to go freelance, really. Yeah. um, And made me want to be able to spend more time with her. And the realization that that wasn't going to be easy to do having a conventional career. And so freelance had been something I'd been thinking about for ages. I got an amazing um, at that point, it was called maternity leave, but a maternity leave package from LSE, which gave me the space um, and the opportunity to be able to start looking at doing freelance. And I haven't looked back, really. That's amazing. But firstly, goodness, morning sickness through a whole pregnancy is, is a hard going thing. I was very, very fortunate. I didn't have morning sickness um, and it was generally pretty well, apart from a bit of pelvic girdle pain. But that uh, the first trimester for me, I was very, very tired and that was enough. Um, yeah. So I have a huge amount of respect for anybody who survived that whole period and being unwell. It was just uh, so bizarre because I think I was only sick twice. But I just, I spent my, just, I spent the nine months gargling with salt water trying to get this awful taste out of my mouth, which probably didn't exist. But yeah, it was, yeah. it was pretty gross. Oh, poor you. Um, but I'm glad that you got the time to be able to to yeah. do it, though, even those kind of little things that kind of like keep distracted. It kind of yeah. sounds like very similar techniques to me when I used to do my running, and you'd be like trying to think of like, right, let's go through all the fruits through the alphabet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at least yours were useful things that you could yeah. teach your child when you got to the other end. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think maternity packages are something that are very much sought after when you're in that kind of like state of play and I don't think they're often considered when you're going into a job especially if you're in a job for a long time um because obviously like the the government and the kind of way the UK set up it's not particularly helpful especially if you live in London um you know I think it's about 600 pound a month now so it's still it's very very hard um so having a, a good package to be able to kind of like lean on and have that space to breathe yeah. a little bit I think it was also having really supportive colleagues though he just said Absolutely. you don't look well like you really don't look well go home stop teaching have some space yeah. and and then just being so so kind once I'd had her so I'm not going to name check them because they probably don't. at some point I need to say thank you to them in person but there were yeah. just some people who showed such unbelievable kindness um yeah they've probably changed my life that's amazing yeah I think it's and you you really do recognize and the people that stand out in those moments don't you it's um uh and like be forever indebted and there's people in my friend groups that I've I've watched they've been in my life for years and years and they've just you know they've been around and you know I've had great moments with them but my goodness when I needed them they just all kind of came out of the woodwork it was like suddenly I was back into a circle because I'd had my daughter a little bit later in life um we kind of missed opportunities to I was off traveling and doing fun stuff and teaching yoga and doing whatever else my time was like very poor as was theirs um and so yeah it definitely shifted yeah wow so 
when you decided to go freelance through this kind of like period as well like what were the kind of key considerations for you when you were looking to make the leap I mean I was lucky because we'd got an income coming in from my partner anyway so I didn't feel that fear that I think probably exists if you're a single parent who wants to explore that or if you've not got a stable income yeah and so we worked out how much I needed to earn and then that was that was the structure. It was say yes to work that people offer me until I reach that figure each year. Yeah. And and then I can be more selective. And I created this sort of Venn diagram, uh, which I still use. It's a bit like the Ikigai thing, the, the Japanese oh, yeah. way that existed at that point. So it's, is the work career enhancing or is it financially really good? Um, Or is it going to lead to something really good in the future? And so I try to only ever say yes to things that tick those boxes. But that was from the sort of learning in that first year or so of being a freelancer and saying yes to everything and going, that was worth it. That wasn't worth it. What are the things that make work worth doing? Um, And so, yeah, I, I literally said yes to lots of things, which initially was lots of teaching, bit less consultancy and then I found I was being asked to do more and more coaching and which I'd been doing previously anyway but that was getting more and more formal because it was growing in status in the UK Um, and so I suppose I would say that over the past nine ten years what I've done is said no to more things and allowed myself to become more specialized and so now I can quite confidently say I do leadership coaching and consultancy and if someone asks me to do something that's outside of that space, I do the exec head that fits in there too. But if it's outside of that space, then I, I generally will say no. Um, yeah. That sounds very well, negative. It sounds sort of like, oh, no, I t-, but it's just about those boundaries. And as you become better known, I think, for what you do with freelance, you can make the boundaries a bit smaller because you get more work in that niche that you've established. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that model. And I think it's so important to have some sort of lens when you're looking through the kind of like freelance like world, because it can be either very dry and like yeah. nothing is really kind of like really coming in your way. But also when you do get opportunities, um, especially I've especially I found when I'm starting out, you have to kind of look at is like say, am I going to make some money out of this or not? Like, is it going to be kind of like financially viable? That kind of thing. Does it kind of for me? It's does it fit with my values? Which is yeah. a very bold thing to be saying at the begin beginning of a, a freelance journey. But I think it's when I'm working in that kind of like state of mind, I know I'm much more focused, dedicated, charged to kind of like get up and do the work as well. Um, and and then looking like like what's what are the expectations in terms of uh, availability and kind of like how how I would work? Yeah. Um, because for me, I'm a solo parent, so my working hours are nursery times um, or yeah. nap times if I yeah. absolutely have to. So uh, even this weekend, uh, one of my clients has had coverage over the weekend, and so I've been helping them with social media. But it's been like, okay, got it. I know what I've got to do. I'll be back in a couple of hours when she's napping and then I'll give you something to look at. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. It's really interesting you say that. Um, so we went to the Turner Prize this weekend in Eastbourne and one of the artists, Ghislaine Leung, I hope I'm saying her name right, um, has done lots of stuff in there around the relationship between being a mother and art because so she's, she's an artist. Oh. Um, and one of the pieces of work is so clever. It's She's got 
a space the size of her studio wall, divided it into the number of hours in a week in a kind of grid. Yeah. And then coloured in in black the hours that she gets to spend in the studio. And oh, wow. as you can imagine, the wall is quite big and the yeah. black space is quite small because she's got a newborn, I think. So I think she only gets like two afternoons a week in the studio. So first thing I was like, that's so impressive that she's in the Turner Prize and she's doing that on the basis of, you know, basically two days a week. But it's it also packs such a powerful punch. It's such a clever piece. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like I remember quoting um on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago and I was just like freelance means you work when you're free yeah Um, because it's literally that kind of like when you're a mother or a parent or a carer it's you do have to kind of like find those windows and even if it is just like two afternoons a week um but that sounds amazing and I, I like hats off to anybody who's doing that kind of um approach because it's you are already doing beyond a full-time job as a parent yeah um and then you've got this extra bit on top and I think that's uh again it's something that you don't well I certainly didn't prepare myself for I was just like oh yeah I can just do this and I can do both of it and it'll be fine I'll just do a little bit less and and balance um Mm. but I think one of the one of the biggest challenges for me was looking at the expectation of others towards me and what I could do versus Mm. what I actually wanted to do or I could do Mm. um so yeah yeah and often those things really don't match up do they no no the correlation it's and it's hard it's like you know when you watch for example if you look at teenagers Mm -hmm. and you can see the transition over time you know it's coming um because you don't know exactly when but you can see there's going to be hormonal changes somewhere maybe between like 11 and like the early 20s it's all going to kind of shift you're not you're not going to know how they feel they're identifying themselves in different ways um but when you're a mother or you know a parent it's overnight and then suddenly everybody has to get used to this new version of you and you're still there Mm. but you've just got like a specific focus on like this tiny tiny human and it will be kind of all consuming and take up all your conversation and all those kind of things because you're thinking about them all the time because they can't think them think for themselves um but equally, like doing things like this and chatting to you on a podcast, it's kind of like, oh, it's me. Here I am. Um, or kind of like getting behind a big campaign and like doing the work behind it. You know, you have to make sure that you're like, as you go through that journey, you've still got that part of you that's you. Um, yeah. So that you can offer that back to your child. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, you want to be a whole human being. You don't want 100%. them just to see you as a parent. I remember having a really heated discussion. I'm not normally like this, so I really am not that into having a big political argument. I think it probably didn't help that it was a night out, so everyone had had a few drinks. But this this dad (laughs) um, launched into me when my daughter was about five. um, And I said something about, yeah, mum's like one of the labels, but it's not my only label. You know, I'm also um, a coach. I'm also a friend. Like, there's all these other things that, people I would want people to see me as and he said I think it's really unacceptable that you don't see mum as being the first label that you would attach to your name I said no I love I love my daughter I love being a mum anyway it went on and on and on and he just he couldn't believe that someone could have a child yeah and not see that as being almost their one and only role yeah um yeah 
and it, it I mean it was great that it was coming from a dad you know like that was quite nice that to have that conversation and him to feel so strongly about it but it did make me feel quite sort of a bit sad a bit uncomfortable that it wasn't rejecting the role of being a mom but it was just saying I want to be this whole person for her as much as mm-hmm. for me yeah no it's so important I, I've I've had similar conversations with a couple of people over the, um, the last couple of years and um, it's like well just you need to be at home well you need to find a partner to support you because you know that that's your job you don't get these years back and I'm like it's been a guilt-ridden kind of like journey to pass her over to anybody because I am the sole person that she that has but equally it's so important that she has her own independence and she learns from other people so it's almost my duty to nursery as her dad <laughs> in many many ways um so it's like this kind of like this shared kind of time but also like to have the space to miss each other I think is really important um and as you rightly say you know it's it is a massive part of who you are and it you that's the one job you're never going to kind of like have taken away from you but without kind of having the person you were before in different ways or the person you've become um and you want to be as an individual you're never going to be able to give your child a hundred percent of what's going on even if it is and you are a stay-at-home parent you're listening to this even if it is you get that time to watch EastEnders on a on whatever night it's on (laughs) you know you have that kind of like brief moment to yourself that's still that little bit of you that you're going to um you're going to need to be able to talk about other stuff rather than shall we change your nappy yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) (laughs) So talk to me about this kind of like journey into coaching then, because as you say, it's kind of like it became bigger and bigger um, Mm. through the kind of like the years of your career. Yeah. So I think I'm definitely someone who is fascinated by other people's problems and the stuff that they've got going on. Um, And I found that in the work that I was doing, whilst I'd be going in and doing teaching or doing consultancy, actually a huge part of what I would be doing would be listening, asking questions, helping people to get that clarity. Um, And then realizing that actually I love that. The idea of being able to be that sort of helpful critic, that thought partner. And so I actually did the coaching qualification quite late on in my coaching journey. I think I only did it about six years ago or something like that. Um, but it's now increasingly an expectation, I think, that if you want yeah. to be a coach and you want to coach anywhere um, that's good, basically, um, they will have an expectation that you've got that qualification. So, yeah. Um, and for me, so my specialism with coaching is working with leaders and in particular helping leaders who are at sort of problem points, either in their career or in their journey to leadership helping them figure out what to do so that's what the book I'm writing is about as well it's a it's a self-coaching manual essentially for leaders who are at problem points in their journey you know if they've got a problem with personal effectiveness or their team aren't getting on or they're really struggling with strategy how can they self-coach their way through those problems and find a route out the other side because not everyone is fortunate enough to have a company that will pay for coaching Um, And even if they are, often that coaching process, it takes months for you to get the referral onto the coaching program and then to match you with a coach. Often the thing that you wanted coaching for has disappeared in that time. Yeah. Um, So the idea is that people can read it and can help themselves. um, But that's very much come from the coaching work that I do and finding that people who come to me with leadership problems often have really similar problems to one another. 
whether they're working in a massive law firm or a charity or working for themselves, there's a real common experience in the things that are challenging with being a leader. Yeah, no, I can can imagine. And it's like leadership is everyone kind of like looks like that's the kind of like thing to strive for. And I've seen it as well, like different, if I look at kind of like different um, organizations or, and the way the expectation to be a manager, for example, is kind of embedded in progression. And actually there's so many people that I've worked with over the years and I'm just like, they're not cut out for that, but they're brilliant and they're so skilled and passionate. Like why can't we just kind of uh, manage that and and that kind of um, that passion and that skill and energy and put that into something and not give them the, well, if you want a promotion, you need to be a manager um, because that's part and parcel of it. Definitely, Um, definitely. So with my newsletter, so I do this uh, newsletter called Dear Katie, where I'm, which are amazing. (laughs) Hopefully you'll share it with your listeners as well. So if they want to sign up for the newsletter, that'd be great. Um, And I'm a leadership agony aunt. So people write into me with their real problems. And one of the recent ones that I had was, I don't want to be a leader. I I love the technical work. I love the stuff that I've got into this career for, but it seems like my only route to seniority is leading other people when actually I'd just like to be even more of an expert. Yeah. Um, And it's such a common problem. Some industries just aren't geared up for it at all. No, because it breaks the mold. Um, And it's, I actually came across some part of something called the Bloom Network, um, which is a community of women who there's about 400 of us uh, in the cohort this year. Um, And it's kind of mentorship. So I'm a mentor to someone who's young in the industry. And then I have a a co-mentor who's um, a male counterpart, which is nice. You can actually get get some different ideas. But I remember meeting, I I'll put the names of them in my notes because I can't remember their names right now, but um, the founders of the Squiggly Career Path um, and talking about how you don't have to go in this linear journey or this stepping stone journey. Actually, you can change and and move and evolve. And as somebody who is not kind of like fully into horoscopes, but I am an Aquarius. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like to explore different things and and permanence is pretty hard for me. So... Uh, having different things to explore and learn is the thing that kind of keeps me motivated and kind of like um, always learning and growing and developing and changing. And so being able to kind of go off in different tangents. And that's how I went into yoga teaching, for example, um, and did that kind of as a side hustle while I was kind of uh, an MD because it was just something else that kind of got my brain thinking and doing doing stuff differently. And I could be a leader without having having to listen to everybody else yeah. to just yeah. kind of give what, I, what yeah. my skill set was which was lovely no it's so good and I think it is just such a brilliant thing actually parenting and the fact that for, for lots of people it does provide that opportunity to go hold on a minute am I doing what I actually want to do I think that time off on shared parental leave yeah is a real wake-up call so often when companies offer return to work coaching um one of the first things people will come in and say is, I've actually been thinking about it and I don't want to do that leadership thing that I'd got geared up before I went away. I want to go and do this and it'll be some totally other area. Um, but then often it takes them a few years to work up the courage or get the finances behind them to be able to do that thing. But I mean, yeah. you see it, I mean, anyone who's got kids at school will have seen the parents of their child's peer group change careers you know lots of people will be embarking on new stuff you've always got parents doing masters I think it is quite a 
it is a moment where you start to revisit for some of us who it is that you want to be. Yeah. And it's the only time really where you have permission, if I use that word um, in this context, permission to be able to take a step back and and look at what you're doing because otherwise it's just holidays or paid time off or sick leave but you get the time to kind of do that and I think there again systematically we're kind of like built into this program where this is what you do you just go 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 Um, and I actually took off um, I went back to work quite soon after I had my daughter only (laughs) part time so I did like a day a week and then two days and then three days and built it up but after only after four months and then I took a month off when she turned one in the summer and and spent time with her when she was learning to walk and run around and do stuff. I do not regret that in the slightest because, again, being a solo parent, when they sleep a lot, you haven't got a lot to say or do. Yeah. <laughs> and even when they're there, they can't talk back. So actually having those moments where she was napping and I was working, kind of like spreading my my load, I was able to kind of like get my keep my brain active and do those things and stay in touch with the team. Yeah. And then having that time when she was more active and kind of starting to engage and she needed me more, that solid month was just so like rewarding. Yeah. Um, and I still kept her in nursery for a couple of days a week so I could kind of like do stuff for me and kind of clean the house and get organized and, and do those things. But it, I was just, when I did it, I was just like, why, why don't we have permission to do this otherwise? We yeah. have that year, first year and it's like, well, we'll sort you out this, for this period of time. But if you come back too soon, you can't have your map pay. Yeah. So you can't break it up or change it or shift it to kind of like suit you. It's just now or never. Yeah. Um, and again, I, th- I just think it's it's so having that space to be able to kind of think and check in whether you are a parent or you aren't a parent is is so necessary for so many of us. And we can't see it until it really hits us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are lots of things like that that I... I definitely experienced when I came back from um, maternity, even things like signing off at the end of a day. So I'm sorry, I have to go. I have to go to nursery and pick my daughter up. And then somebody else going, yeah, I'm not going to finish until eight o'clock tonight. I was like, why? I was like, well, I've got, I, if I can just do tonight, then I can get ahead of myself for tomorrow. And I was like, give yourself permission to yeah. stop, have a nap, go and do something fun, distract yourself and then come back fresh in the morning. Don't burn yourself out. But they didn't have that kind of touch point to be able to say, oh, I'm allowed to do this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. I also think there's the other reality though, isn't there? Sadly, that one of the reasons why we have, why the moment that you start parenting is a good moment for reflection is because companies are so inflexible around working hours and, returning part-time and you know I work loads and loads with professional service firms so law firms accountancy firms and all the rest and it's so hard for parents to go back in and hope to have any sort of career if they want to see their kids it's such a trade-off and and so sometimes it's not born of excitement that you can go and do something else sometimes it's born of absolute necessity that if you want to be more of a hands-on parent you can't have that career. Yeah. Uh, and it's so difficult because these industries are, I mean, I really love working with these these industries. Don't get me wrong. And I think the people who are in there are amazing. They're bright. They're fantastic. But there is a bit of double speak quite yeah. often around. They say that they would like to offer flexibility and they're really good employers and they score really high on the best companies to work for. But then the undercurrent is you still get particular areas of these businesses where it's not okay to knock off at 
seven. I mean, you say knock off, it's not even knock off. You've still done more than your contracted hours if you're not stopping until seven. Um, so I think it's really difficult. I think there's something, those industries will collapse if people don't put in those really long hours. But those long hours mean that parents don't get promotions if they want to see their kids. It's yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I don't, I've got no idea. Something will implode probably at some point, And I wonder whether it will be us or whether it will be the companies. Yeah. it's I, And that's the thing, isn't it? It's that it, you see so many people talking about burnout and kind of like, you know, the, yeah. the challenges they're facing with mental health or then you get the flip side, which is the quiet quitting and kind of, you know, people going, well, no, well, that's what I'm getting paid for. So I'm going to go home now. I'm going to go to the gym now. Um, but there's definitely rumblings at the moment, I feel that something needs to or is about to happen um, yeah. to change that. And I think lockdown and the pandemic have have altered stuff for the better for many, many companies. And, you know, even uh, for the last agency that I was working with, the, the flexible working policy changed um, and allowed me to kind of have that space. The, yeah. You know, I, I was able to come back part time, but to fulfill the duties of being a managing director in that in that role, was it wasn't it just didn't fit with me anymore. Um, and so you, you do have these kind of certain kind of like roles or certain jobs, uh, specifically that you either have to give it all or you have to kind of compromise and do something differently. Um, yeah. And I do think we do need to explore more. I really think as women, we should be allowed to have it all. I'm not doubting that for a second, but I think what I struggle with is when people make it sound as though the choice to be a parent and step Mm -hmm. away from a 12 hour day at work is a compromise or is doing something um, that is somehow wrong. It seemed to be the less successful choice. Whereas actually sometimes that can be really significant personal success to say, yeah. you know what, I realize I cannot win over this industry. The industry will win. They will make me do 12 hour days or they will choose not to promote me. I can't single handedly change that. So the positive and right thing for me to do is to step away. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to be able to fight this battle. I will try and fight this battle, but I can't do it on my own. So I'm not going to I'm not going to lose out on time with my kids because of that. I want to choose that as an option and that should be okay. That shouldn't come with guilt. That shouldn't come with raised eyebrows. That should be an, a a good decision. Yeah. And it, that you've just hit on the word that I was about to kind of ask you about which is guilt because yeah. you know take a job out of the equation. The guilt that a parent has in any context because you can read as many manuals or kind of watch as many TV shows or kind of like get as much guidance as you like, but everybody's parental journey is so different. And you're constantly questioning, oh my God, should I have given her that much food? Why have I I've given her an ice cream twice this week? Is that okay? You know, whatever it might be, there's so much pressure on you from a, from a guilt perspective. So going into a work environment and having that added guilt like with multiple faces um because it won't necessarily just be like a boss or like your your colleague who sits next to you you're going to have lots of people with different expectations and then you've got clients on top of that as well who are kind of like well you said you're going to give me that report at seven and it's not here what's going on um it's it's just it loads up and up and up and the mental load just becomes increasingly more more challenging and I think at my my absolute lowest point I sat there and went maybe maybe 
the men have it right, maybe it should be that women do stay at home and just kind of look after the children and we just leave it to the men to run the businesses. And I sat there and went, oh my God, what did I just say to myself? Um, And yeah, I think that's, you know, I knew things had to change because the fact that you're kind of even getting to those uh, those points of consideration means that your self-doubt is immense. And I'm like, I'm not that person. I know, like, I know there are things I want to fight for and I think a person that I want to be and I would never want my daughter to go oh yeah mum said that it's okay men can just run the world (laughs) yeah Yeah. although in a way they're sort of missing out I think sometimes and you know it's nice that we're in an environment now where it is becoming more normalized for men to make use of the shared parental leave yes yeah yeah I realize I'm using very gendered language here and we could be talking about this in a much more sophisticated way around parents parents don't have to be men and women there you know it's it, I, I'm using those categories because I think the way that the research is done into parenting a lot of it is still organized around those conventional categories and the fact that right. women do do more of the childcare. The people who fulfill the role of the man in the relationship tend to do a bit less but that's changing so yeah anyone who's listening I'm not suggesting that we need these really heteronormative relationships to have kids at all, but it's just much more reflecting the research and the way it organizes our thinking around it. Totally. And I, like, again, I kind of sat there and looked at um, my kind of like immediate life as well. Uh, one of the, uh, there's a mum's group at nursery, WhatsApp, and there's a dad's group at nursery on WhatsApp. Yeah. And one of the mums went, oh, one of the dads has put this in the dad's group about meeting up with the, um, uh, dads and wives. Um, but I realized that you wouldn't have seen that. So would you like to come too? And I was like, why is there not just a parents group? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was actually thinking that because that's exactly what happened when my daughter was little. And now I wonder whether we would have done that or whether we would have just all been one group. It might have been just because like the, the mums were doing all the classes and the dads weren't doing so many of them. And it might have come from practical reasons. But yeah, if it's not serving a purpose, what's the point? Yeah. No, I think I actually, I'm this week, I'm going to suggest it and put, uh, yes, I'm going to say that. Yes, I'm yes, creating yes. this parents group. Um, let's just kind of like everybody in there as well. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it again, there's just so many different makeups of families these days. And I fully embrace that, especially having, having chosen a, a slightly, you know, non-typical route. Um, but I'm proud to say I've got several friends around the world who've kind of like taken a similar journey to me. So it's amazing. I'm not, like, I'm not a, a single person kind of like doing this on my own I've got people I can talk to and we can ask each other questions and and manage the different journeys in different ways great yeah so how have you found that um from your experience kind of talking to these leaders and kind of like coaching them and things like that what are the what are the things that have actually come through that have been positive in terms of changes or that people might have made or kind of things that they have over overcome if they're parents or or yeah like re-onboarding parents back into the workplace even yeah so I think one of the big ones with with the law firms that I do a lot of work with there is a lot of pressure put on um mums who are partners or who are senior lawyers to be good role models and to have a good work-life balance and this kind of thing and so you come back and you've got the burden not just of coming back and trying to do things for yourself but you've got all these people saying well I might decide whether or not to have a kid based on how well you handle this and whether you show me that it's possible or not um and I think 
what is going well is people having the sorts of conversations that we are having today where they're talking about this stuff. I don't think people go in, back into the workplace and hold as much of it tight to their chest anymore. I think there's a lot more opportunity to talk about it and for HR to be more clued up on it and managers to be more clued up on it. Um, and there's more support. I'm not saying everywhere. There's lots of small companies, medium companies, where they don't have the resources to have this. But then there are places that you can start to reach out and look for some of that help. So charities that are organized around it, groups of other working parents. There's loads out there if you go digging for it. And um, so I think those kinds of networks and being able to have those conversations, I realize it doesn't quite answer your question. But when things go well, it's often because people are clear on what they want and part of that is about having talked about it and having had supporters and friends and peers who can give that conversation who can give the challenge that you might need etc to try and find the right way through it for you yeah and I also think it's much more successful if you try not to worry the people who get really concerned when they're on shared parental leave that they're going to come back and their job's been given away or it's a slightly different thing because there's been a restructure and they're on their emails frantically looking but they're not really supposed to be on there and they're getting really stressed. I can just remember all these coffees with parents when um, mine was really young and then you know really losing sleep over their reduction potential reduction in status. The right thing to do with that is don't stress it. If you can't make any difference at that distance, you're probably really valued. People are having to cope without you because you aren't there. Just relax into it and try to enjoy the time off rather than being concerned about what you're going to go back to. The world does change. The world would change if you were there or if you weren't. Um, and within a couple of weeks of being back, you won't even be thinking about that. You'll be thinking about all the stuff around juggling nursery and all of that kind of stuff rather than caring if you've got slightly less to do in your role or your job titles change slightly um, yeah. it does all tend to come out in the wash and if it doesn't then get legal about it but you know generally it does yeah no and I think the the overthinking and the nervousness around that kind of right return to work as well I think comes because you are so exhausted too like you're like yeah. when you're kind of like in that state of mind it's, it's very natural to become anxious about the tiniest things. And yeah. so when you start thinking about work, it can kind of escalate quite quickly. Definitely. But to your and kind I think of first on that point, note, sorry, just because otherwise we'll, we'll go talk about something else and I'll forget. I think keeping in touch days, it's really important. So where I see those work well is when people go in to do specific work. Mm -hmm. If you go in for a keeping in touch day and it's just... 15 different coffees and a gossip with everybody you come home with your head swimming you don't feel like you've done anything you haven't added any value and it just all feels like there's a nothingness whereas if you go in and you say right bring me in on a day when like our favorite like my favorite clients coming in or bring me in on a day when it's the closing day of that project and you're going to need all hands on deck and then you feel a real sense of importance and like you're still a key part of the team because you're adding some value um, rather than just sitting and having coffees and finding out who's arguing with who and the politics and all of this sort of stuff. No, totally. And I actually use my my keep in touch days very similarly to, to kind of that approach because although I didn't do them as solid days, I broke up the hours across um, a period of months. I 
I was looking at a leadership project. And so I was interviewing people who were sort of like director level and above, kind of like account director level and above, I should say, um, to kind of look at how we restructured the team or what we needed for the next kind of like model of the agency. And so I had something specific I was talking to them about, but equally I was able to maybe like two or three days a week speak to people with faces that I recognized and I knew and you you know you have that familiarity and then when I got the opportunities I'd jump in on their end of week call to kind of see people and it does you do need that sense of purpose 100% because it's very reinforces your value not just to yourself but also to the other person so you're not thinking I'm not important you are stamping your importance by being there at the key moments yeah absolutely otherwise it can get really diluted and then like you say it just becomes becomes overwhelming for you you get lost in the kind of mix and um yeah yeah, it's very very hard but to your kind of like first point as well about the support and the having the role models and the representation um yes it is a burden but I think it's also uh, for me I was the first mum to come back into the agency and so people hadn't experienced that really like they've had we had other people who'd come in who were parents, but it was just a very, very different approach because I've been there for quite a long time. Um, and you're setting the scene, but you're also trying to create that space. And it's it's a lot, like it's a lot to deal with. So I think it's it's really helpful to see parents in practice, kind of like coming back into the space, but also making sure that you've got those dialogues is so important. How are you doing? I'm fine. Is not a conversation. Um, And so like, or how am I doing? Yeah, you're doing great. It's not a conversation. You need to have more than that. And there needs to be a degree of honesty when things aren't working on both sides from the individual, Mm -hmm. uh, if they're struggling and like for them to have people who will allow them to be heard so that they can kind of like, they can say that in a safe space without kind of like overthinking things. And then, you know, like work out together what is the best way forward. Because otherwise it is, it's just you against the world or them against you or however it might seem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sense of being part of a team, not being on the outside. It's very easy to feel on the outside when you're not physically in the office or physically doing the work. Yes. Um, and trying to resist that feeling by, yeah, by having meaningful conversations with people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So what, what advice would you give someone at the moment who's thinking of becoming a parent, but mm. is apprehensive about the working world and how that might change their, their, their outlook? Yeah. So I would say write down what your concerns are. Because rather than them just spinning around in your head all the time, be really clear with yourself about the areas where you've got concern. For some people, it will be the money. For other people, it will be the status. Or it will be, we don't live near any good nurseries. It can be all the way from the really abstract to the really practical. But get all of those worries down and then start to work through them and think about what you can do to reduce your concern about those areas. Some of them will be totally out of your control and you probably just need to take a leap of faith and assume that it's worked out for everyone else so it's going to work out for you too. But then others you can take really practical action. So, you know, I'm, I've got friends who had a place booked in nursery before they'd had their baby. Me too. Because for them, that just felt really important and it allowed them to be able to calm down and enjoy the process rather than seeing it as being another unknown that they couldn't do anything about so I think it's about working out what for you are those points where you think oh my god like I'm actually terrified this is keeping me awake at night and then seeing what you're able to do 
to increase your knowledge or increase your control over that situation or increase your acceptance that you can't do much about it. Yeah, no, I've, well, I was definitely one of those parents who had their nursery place booked. I was four months pregnant. Um, (laughs) But I was just like, I don't want this to be an admin thing that is going to come later. And I know how hard it is to get a nursery place in London. So if I can get that one out the way, that's done. Yeah. Um, I also think it's really funny. So you, you, there's really different approaches with the John Lewis um, list. So anyone who's in the UK, who's listening to this, you'll know. And anyone who's not, John Lewis is a massive department store in the UK and they somehow get wind of the fact you're pregnant, probably because you go in there going, Oh, I need to go and buy some things. And they give you this enormous list of stuff that you should buy. Yeah. Um, and it's great to get a friend who's had kids recently to go through and cross out all the things you don't need and then maybe give you some of those things. But sorry, that wasn't the point I was going to make. You get <laughs> Very useful point, it, though. Yeah. <laughs> where it says, you know, you need a buggy. And I, 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 the dads, or, and it is normally the dads, and I'm going to explain why in a minute, make a spreadsheet of like, here's all the buggies. This is the one. This is the characteristics. And they kind of choose which one and they put all their effort into it. And I think it's because it's something that they feel like they can control. Mm-hmm. And often dads, because they're that step removed. You know, they're not the ones who are actually doing the work of carrying the baby, but it's what can they do in advance to kind of be helpful. So um, I don't know, did anyone do that on behalf of you, Steph? Or did you do it or did you just no, not worry I about it? I love a spreadsheet, so it was me. It um, was you, I had, okay. yeah. I had all my kind of hospital bag spreadsheets and I had my kind of like, yeah, practical yeah. list actually for yeah. everything. Um, but it does just make friends that gave me stuff too. So Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But it does just work for some people. I think that's what I was going to say. Like, I'm not, I, it's funny, but I'm not being critical, but it's just being aware of that mechanism in yourself. If you're making that spreadsheet with, with, for a buggy, do you need this level of control? Is it important to you? Or actually, are there some things where you can say it's just it's just okay. I just accept that I'm going to be out of control for a bit. Yeah. And I think it's also like from a, from being the mom as well, like allowing somebody else to help you. Yeah. Like I don't take everything on you, on your kind of like shoulders, whether you're, you know, um, the dad, that's the parent, the mum that's parent, whoever making sure you spread the load and start asking for help is a good way to train yourself to the point when you become that parent, because, uh that, again that was something that's really hard for me is because I do so much on my own I just get on with it mm-hmm. um whereas now I'm like I do need someone to help me do this with that and the yeah. other um yeah. but one of the best bits of advice I heard not for the person being the parent but for the person watching the person being the parent is don't offer help give help mm-hmm. yeah we're so inclined to say no when someone offers us help but if someone shows up on our doorstep with three frozen meals or you know <laughs> says right here I am I'm going to take the baby for a walk I know it's nap time so you've got some time to yourself you're so much less likely to say no than when somebody offers yeah and yeah so remembering that if you've got particularly if you can see someone that you think is struggling yeah I actually recently experienced this um so my sister and I like hi Natalie if you're listening um she is the practical one and I'm the creative one um and we'll get frustrated if we build an Ikea whatever together she'll get very frustrated at me and be like no do it like this do it like that because we we have followed completely different approaches to to doing stuff um and we just kind of agreed somewhere along the way it's like you do you and I'll do me and recently she came up and I was going to get a, a storage unit to kind of put more toys in and so I popped out and left my daughter with her and I came back and she cleaned my kitchen and normally I'd be like, what the fuck? 
do you think what are you doing um and uh, I was like thank you that's really yeah. helpful yeah exactly as you're saying it was like that moment where she didn't ask me if I want my kitchen clean because I would have said no um just instinctively she just got on with it and did it and I actually went yeah I actually did need that thank you so much <laughs> it's such a good lesson if we've got leaders or managers here and it's just, it, reflecting back on what I talked about earlier with the fact with LSE, when they were really great to me with my maternity when I wasn't feeling well, they didn't ask, they just told me. Yeah. And they just gave the help. They didn't, they didn't ask if I needed help. And it just makes such a difference, especially when you're feeling low or you're feeling vulnerable, being given that help. So as a leader, just give it. Don't ask, yeah. just give it. As long as it's not going to come across as an overstep and it's not going to be misinterpreted as you being interfering. If, if it can be seen as a genuine offer, a genuine, not offer, I don't, a genuine gift of giving this help, give the help. Yeah, 100%. And if anybody's listening is not sure whether it is an overstep or not, don't necessarily ask the parent, but ask somebody else that yeah. you know, because yeah. then you've got that covered. Because um, yeah. it was always good to just like check in and go, do you think I should just do this? Yeah, no. You get a kind of a bit of a sense check. Because, mm. um, yeah, I've experienced both levels of like overstepping, very useful, helpful, um, and all the rest of it. The, from, a, from a leadership perspective, what advice would you give to, to leaders around how best to re-onboard or kind of like create an infrastructure for parents? I think the first thing they need to do is assume that they need the parents. So when we end up with a workplace that hasn't got parents in it, we end we lose a lot of empathy. We lose a lot of women out of our workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lose, therefore, good understanding of often what our customers are like. We're, we're kind of, we're, we're creating more blind spots. So first of all, make the assumption that you need those people in your workplace. And even if even if you don't, you need them from a legal point of view because you'll get in trouble if if no one will stick around. Um, and so then you've got to think about how to make that workspace as okay for those people as possible. You know, not often a lot of that will come from HR. You'll need yeah. HR involvement because there'll be legalities and there'll be all sorts of things to make sure that you're taken care of. Um, but it's also just being a really nice human being, having good emotional intelligence, you know. Also, never, ever, ever say to a parent, my God, you look tired. <laughs> they, might, they might have for a moment forgotten about the fact that they're feeling tired and you've reminded them. But I say that to kind of reflect on a more serious point that you're not making assumptions about how they're feeling or how they're coping. You're asking them and you're checking in with them and making sure that you really understand what the world feels like for them. You I mean, you should be doing that with all your staff anyway, if you're a good leader, you should have a good sense of what the world looks like for them rather than assuming that they see the world in the same way that you do. But I think it's especially important with parents, new parents, because as you said earlier, their worldview will have changed. Most likely Mm -hmm. there'll be stuff going on for them that hasn't gone on before. They'll be going through a lot of change. Um, So they're probably not exactly the same person that they were six months ago, nine months ago. And so really trying to make sense of how things are for them what you can do to be supportive you will find as a leader if you do that you'll be rewarded by really loyal happy staff who are much more satisfied with their role and much more prepared to be honest and give to you what you need them to give to you and 
because as human beings we are we're, we're always very aware we've got this constant thing going on in our head of sort of checks and balances and who we owe something and who owes something to us mm-hmm. and so if a leader's nice to you you're much more likely to want to give back to that leader um, yeah so it's it, you know it's backed up by decent evidence that if you as a leader can be supportive can be kind um, your staff will re- repay you in the same way yeah I think that goes for all relationships in life, isn't it? It's yeah. like making sure that you're you're looking out for each other, and and the loyalty kind of grows from that. And I think it's it, that something for me that I found was sometimes I didn't know what the solution was or necessarily what I wanted out of stuff in my in my kind of role when I did come back. And I think you know working collaboratively to kind of come up with ideas and like offer solutions. Like, well, what like uh, what does this sound? like to you like would this be something that really of interest I, I think you'd be really good at x y and z that kind of thing can just alleviate that thought process for the individual coming back because as you say they've already got so much on their minds as it is and it's not to create additional work or burden on the the leader but just to to understand somebody else and have that empathy you need to you need to kind of like look at what those pain points are what is going to be helpful to you as an organization and your team um and make sure that yeah everything is is like a moving carousel that's kind of like working and you get the nice music not going too fast not going too slow because like both sounds are, are quite frustrating and annoying <laughs> you yes, just need a nice gentle yeah fairgrounds happy place <laughs> definitely i like that a lot yeah amazing um well it has been so helpful and so lovely to chat to you Katie absolutely and I love it I love having conversations with people who've listened to podcasts and that kind of thing so anyone who's out there who wants to reach out either because they want to read the newsletter or they just want a general chat about what we've spoken about or they they're interested and want to know more please 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 reach out it's really lovely to make those connections definitely and when's the book coming out it's not until 2025. You will definitely get an invite to the launch. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on it from now until July. And then it has about a year um, in like the publishing process, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, good luck with that. And Thank I'm yeah, really excited to read it. But I will be reading, as I do always, your newsletters. Thank you. Um, and for, before we go, I'm going to give you one little task. Complete the sentence for the love of kids. Okay, so I had a good think about this. I'm glad you primed me because I think otherwise I'd have gone, I don't know. So for <laughs> love of kids, I think it's really important that you show your vulnerabilities, but try to hide your fears. Amazing. I love that. It's so important not to pass on your fears to others, isn't it? And I think especially with the children, I, uh, I overcame my fear of peas for my daughter. Um, peas. peas. <laughs> I had traumatic food experiences with peas. My parents used to try and kind of like force feed them to me oh, as a kid. Um, and so it just put me off for life. So I was like, oh, I don't like peas. I don't like peas. And I was like, I have to make sure my daughter does does have the choice to make around whether she likes them or not. And I definitely don't want her to fear them because they're just tiny little sweet green things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I'm really thankful I haven't passed on a fear of spiders to my daughter. <laughs> I'm actually not as scared as I used to be. I went to the London Zoo to do their um, Fear of Spiders course. But 
wow it's definitely on my mind that I didn't want her to be like that and yeah she just looks at them with interest so that's good that's the result <laughs> that's amazing no well done you um but yeah thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure and um look forward to chatting again soon yeah definitely thanks so much for inviting me on have a great day yeah.